0: Well, hey there. Thank you so much for checking out the Big Time Talker podcast. We're on the Blog Talk Radio Network, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast. You can even ask Alexa to play the Big Time Talker podcast with Burke Allen and magically will appear. We're live in Washington, D.C. today, and uh, SpeakerMatch.com is the sponsor of the Big Time Talker podcast. They're the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau If you're a speaker or a meeting planner, get together and find one another on SpeakerMatch.com. Steve Hughes is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. He is, in fact, a professional speaker with nary a platform to speak on because of COVID. We're going to get into that and also get into his background in speaking, which, if I understand it, began with a breakfast item. Steve Hughes, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks so much. Yes, actually, it did start with a breakfast item um, and, uh, and kind of a dare as well. So it's a, it was a very organic, interesting story of how how professional speaking found me.
0: Now, what were you doing before the aforementioned breakfast item?
1: I was in advertising and PR for about 12 years, and I'd say mediumly happy. It was I worked several places and a big Big firm, small firm, and it was fine. But I, I didn't know even this wonderful world of speaking existed. But then once I found it, I thought, oh, you know, the angels uh, sang and the, the skies parted. And it was just fantastic.
0: You are sitting down to breakfast with your brother-in-law. You're you're sharing breakfast frittatas, which is, is yes. that even really a thing? Um, and <laughs> I'm not sure if it is. It's just, <laughs> but it was that day. <laughs> it was that day. And immediately immediately he throws down the the gauntlet and says to you what
1: he says um you might think you're kind of funny and i thought i was uh he said but you're nothing in my book until you do some stand-up comedy and so basically he dared me to do some uh, go to an open mic night which i'd never done before and i you know I, at first i was offended like i don't have to go on stage to prove prove i'm funny. <laughs> But it, how but dare it, it you hung with me. <laughs> exactly yes who, you, who do you think you are and pay for my frittata um but, but i will say this so that started a chain reaction of events that i look back i'm very thankful that they did and it, it basically um was a series of me saying yes to these different offers these different opportunities and each yes led to a bigger yes and it was a very cool thing so i'd like to brag but when i was at the comedy forum here where i where i uh Live in St. Louis, and I went to an open mic night, and invited all my friends. Right. I, mean, I don't like to brag, but but for those five minutes, I was terrible, and um, <laughs> which most people are. No, I mean it, it's hard. It's a very difficult thing. In fact, Chris Rock or you know anybody will tell you Jay Leno, Seinfeld, that usually you bomb for a while, and and I did. But what was fun about it? I kept my day job. I kept at it, and the next yes was I researched. Uh, how to be better at comedy, and found this guy who who, um, had this whole written books and uh, wanted to put on some seminars. And he said, hey, Steve, we got in touch. He said, hey, Steve, you're in advertising and PR. Could you help me put on some comedy seminars for people to get into the business? Because, you know, outside of L.A. and, you know, Chicago, New York, and some of the bigger cities, there's actually a lot of money to be made in comedy if, big if, if you operate clean, you know. And you could probably vouch for that, certainly.
0: Yes, um, indeed.
1: If you could make, you know, thousands of dollars, you, you know, the, the two paths are you you work the standard comedy circuit, and you make 400 bucks a, a week working at uh, Joe's Chuckle Hut in front of a bunch of drunk people. Or you can uh, go work at, say, a IBM sales meeting, operate clean, and make a couple thousand dollars in a short amount of time.
0: I would take B. You know, I would take day. B on yeah, that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It's not that hard. But then here's the other thing. So we, I helped him put on his first comedy seminar. Uh, you know, my all my spare time, and we ended up hosting it, and I got on local NPR radio, I got all this great hype and, and by all these people, and we made $9 profit, which at that point, I decided not to retire, because that probably wouldn't do it, but um, we quickly found out that, you know, who doesn't have money are aspiring comedians, hey, yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah. But the other thing that changed my life, though, was the next, the next yes was a buddy of mine uh, from high school, worked at a big fancy law firm in Chicago, found out about this and said, Hey, Steve, I heard about your your comedy seminar thing. Could you, um, and this is a question, could you come up uh, to our firm and over lunch one day, could you make all of our lawyers funny?
0: Now, see, there's money to be made there, but I'm not sure well, that you could actually make someone funny uh, any more than, uh, than they already are. So did you take that challenge?
1: I did. Well, here's what's funny. I did. And you had the exact same answer. I did. I said, I can't make somebody funny as much you want. Know, I can make them taller. You know, I don't do, I don't do personality transplants. I said, well, what do you, what do you really want? Like, what, what's your problem? You're a classic speaker, you know, meeting planner, organizer question. What, what do you, what's your problem? What are you trying to solve? He said, we're really good at what we do. We're super smart, but we're not that good at talking to humans and, um, and, and communicating our ideas. So, well, okay, that I can do, I can maybe throw in some humor, but I'm not going to turn them into a comedy club people. He says, no, that'd be perfect. And so I went up there, they paid me nicely, put me in a nice hotel and flew me up and I came back and I, I'll never forget. I came in and told my wife, I said, Hey, if I did enough of these things, I think we could you know, pay the bills. And, um, she was amazingly so. She was awesome and said, "100 supportive," and said, "That'd be great." You know, I so we, so I quit my job about five, maybe five months later, and I really did the thing where I jumped out of the nest. I know there's a lot of people who make the transition from you know corporate full-time working job to speaker over time. I kind of jumped out and and, and didn't even check if I had a parachute or not. But you know, I just, I just knew I had to go for it. So uh, and that was 2005, and so I've uh, been doing it ever since.
0: Steve Hughes is our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast. If you want to check out Steve and his story, go to hityourstride.com, hityourstride.com. I think that's really interesting that that the law firm guy, your buddy from the law firm in Chicago, had the presence of mind to realize that there really is such a thing as doctor-lawyer talk, and those guys talking right over uh, everyday human beings, and and they needed to get some help with that. Um, Now that you've been doing this for a minute, do you think that that most people can be taught to uh to speak and and you know carry out verbal communications uh at an improved level? Is this something that's teachable for ninety nine percent of us or or do you kind of have to have you know some core qualities in there
1: i I'd say absolutely for the ninety nine percent we can move the needle pretty far and really help someone get improved dramatically. I think there are some special people who do have a just maybe a certain like you know, Michael Jordan has a special gift of basketball, you know, uh Tom Brady or you know, pick your person, um, who, who might be just unbelievably amazing. But I think for the vast majority of people, absolutely there's some very simple, very tangible, action oriented things that people can do that that will help them appear, you know, confident and and logical and 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 connect with people in fact that that's my tagline is I I basically I help people look and sound smart when they talk
0: what do you think that's what I do Why do you think people um are so afraid of of speaking of getting up the rotary club and doing their 15 minutes or uh you know it's been said and I'm not sure if this is true or not but the number one fear out there is the the fear of public speaking why do you think that is
1: I, I think it's a, it's a human thing. I, I I found it so interesting you asked that, that there's at the same time, there's almost like uh, this push and pull of the desire to be known and, and loved by people and also the fear of being exposed. You know, I think that's it's an interesting dynamic that plays out. And I think oftentimes that the, like, you feel like you stand up there, like, you know, you're wearing clothes, you feel naked, you feel you're being dressed down by the other people. You feel like you're being picked apart when really... And one of my key teaching points is that's not really happening. You know, for the vast majority of audiences, they'd rather see you be good. You know, what I'm saying, even in a weekly, you know, sales meeting, or you're at a a monthly whatever gathering, and you have to get up and do a five minute or a half hour talk on something. People aren't sitting there going, "Man, I hope this guy sucks." Now, I, <laughs> I hope she's terrible. You know, and I hope I hope the next half hour is just excruciating, like jab a fork in your eye, painful. Um, no, most of the time they're like gosh, if I have to be here anyway, I hope, I hope she's good. I hope this guy's good. So if you kind of run with that kind of attitude and thought, plus have good prep and know what you're talking about, that can go a long way to helping you um, overcome the the nervousness. And I'll even tell you right now, I, even when I was in advertising, I got so nervous and I, I still get nervous now. It doesn't fully go away, but I was like painful, you know, almost Sunday night dreading, you know, the next morning kind of stuff. So, so it's definitely changeable if people want to work at it.
0: Do you get uh, Do you get the sweaty palms? Do you Do you you know the the underarm perspiration? What's the tell when Steve Hughes is a little bit nervous before he speaks?
1: I um, I gamble. No, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's a, funny. I gamble. And I, drink could, I No, I what well, I just I kind of turn inward and I just get really quiet. I get really um, just kind of mellow and and uh non i I get less social, you know I kind of like a lot of people, I do get a little bit of the shaky you know the arms kind of thing going on and, and nervousness but um i I kind of think of Seinfeld when he said in his in his documentary about uh, you know he's done this you know he's made hundreds of millions of dollars and he's done this thousands of times, he says he still gets nervous until he goes out on stage picks up the microphone from the stand, turns around and puts the stand behind him, and then steps forward and says his first joke. Like, it's, it's even when you hear someone like that who still gets nervous, you know, you feel like, okay, it's, that's just part of the human condition. And actually, it makes you perform better. There's some good research out there that says a little bit of nervousness takes your, your game up. Um, Hale Irwin, the, the famous golfer, once said the only time he gets nervous before a match is when he's not nervous.
0: <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I think there's something to that. If if you're not a little bit nervous, that means you're not really yeah. fully invested in right. the deal, and and uh, you know you're not right. paying that much attention. Um, uh, for many years, and Steve uses our guest today. For many years, Steve, I, I was a program director of radio stations all over the country, and and consulted, uh, you know, big morning shows. And one of the things I used to always tell them is you're never as great as you think you are. You think you just killed it. You're never that great. But you're also never as horrible as you think you are. Yeah. You know, you, you've never blown it that much. When when people are, are speaking at the local Kiwanis Club, would you say that, that the same applies there? You're never as great, but also never as horrible?
1: A hundred percent. In fact, that's, I, that's, that's very true. And what I find so interesting for most people and a lot of speakers is, you, let's say you speak in a group of uh, you know, professional speakers in front of several hundred people, and they find that one, and they're they're going crazy. They're clapping, they're laughing, they're loving it. And they find the one or two people in the audience who aren't happy, and they always assume it's about them. And it and it it isn't. You know, I always say, hey, if you if you see some of the audience and they they have a disgruntled look on on their face, it it, it may not be you. It, it they might have gas. I mean, who you knows? <laughs> that's, you know, that's right. You
0: know, uh, anything could yeah, be. But yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Steve Hughes is our guest. Visit him online at hityourstride.com, dot com. dot com, and he helps people overcome their fear of speaking. teaches them how to be better speakers through comedy, and and uh, and generally does not really have a real job, which I am thoroughly impressed with. You walked away from this ad agency, and you decided to do this, and now you get to have fun every day until until March twenty twenty. When COVID sort of put the kibosh on speakers and and bringing people together, so how did you redo what you do since you're no longer you know bringing large groups of individuals together uh, for conferences to speak to?
1: Well, first of all, I appreciate you bringing up that extra painful part of my past. Uh, my pleasure, happy to do it. <laughs> no, no, it's we all went through it. it. It was tough, and I'll just add: we we all have our different journeys and our struggles. I mine was. I'd say accentuated by literally the week before the lockdown, my father died of pancreatic cancer five years to the day my mom died of pancreatic cancer. So everyone has difficulties to go with. So that was tough. Then a friend of mine on my improv troop uh, died of COVID and then the lockdown happens. And I, I was flirting with, with, I don't really know, I can't say for sure, but I was, it's hard to get out of bed, and I don't really know what clinical depression is, but it was it was tough. Sure. And so, um, so for a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, I didn't know what to do. And then, actually, a friend of mine who who actually happens to be a pastor, we were we were talking, and he said, you know, Steve, think of think of your clients as your neighbors. Like I always thought of, like, you. Think of your neighbor, help your neighbor out. You know, shovel their driveway, or you know, be nice to your neighbor. I never thought of my clients as neighbors, and so I suddenly had this this idea, kind of this like switch my mind about how I looked at my business because about at that in that March, April, a huge part of my year just dried up. Either it got postponed to the following year or the budget went away or, uh, you know, it just, it just was, was a wasteland.
0: Sure. And so then I
1: thought of, um, uh, uh gosh, in 2011 here in beautiful Missouri in, in Joplin, there were some tornadoes that swept through and basically leveled the town. It was I pretty remember bad, that pretty very well. Sure. Yeah. So, um, it was very common for, organizations to 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 grab a busload of people and my my church included we go down once you know every now and then and and bring them some lumber and and help out how can we how can we rebuild and so I took the idea of what about calling up my clients and some and and key prospects and saying hey you know what instead of hey how are you doing what's going on I basically said um here I'm how can I help can I'd be happy to offer you a free virtual program what what would you like and I what was a beautiful thing for me was I had two Already in the bag, ready to go. Virtual programs. Actually, one I've been doing since 2008. One on how to communicate virtually, and the other is how to how to use improv uh, to be more resilient when the unexpected happens. And I got to tell you, that completely changed my outlook because suddenly I could have these conversations. And not everybody took me up on it. That's fine. But I probably did close to 40 plus. For, you know. Maybe almost 50 free gigs in a, in a short amount of time. And the cool thing about that was, so often I get done with the free gig, either with a client or a prospect, and they'd say, Hey, what do you normally charge? And uh, what do you do here? And it led to business. So it truly was that give with no strings attached. No, no, I, I completely, this is, we can walk away and we never talk again. But so many people said, Man, Steve, I appreciate you put yourself out there and giving of yourself and providing this value to our staff or our organization. And then they felt, uh, hey, when things turn around or when the budgets open up or even tomorrow, uh, we'd like to bring you in. And so that was just – that to me was a, was a a real pivotal moment of me kind of talking about going inward like before nervous, before a speech and kind of just like shrinking up and, and shriveling away versus standing up and kind of boldly going forward and saying, okay, how can I kind of fight back against the madness and actually live out what I, what I talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Which is see, rare, right? That, Most speakers though. need to, you know. So,
0: no, that's. I think that's fantastic, and and you know, you you give it away, but when you give it away, you're exposed in front of a whole lot of people that that may not normally get to see you, and and you know, it it, it sounds maybe a little boy scoutish, but I've always thought, Steve, so yeah. that that you know, you do unto others, and. and is a real thing, and you absolutely, you know, you you put it out there, and and you offer to help people, and and it comes back to you tenfold. It always has for me. So, uh, Steve Hughes is our guest today. the The website is hityourstride. dot com. Uh, Steve is an accomplished author and uh, and uh, speaker and uh, all around good guy who does something that that I don't know a whole ton about, and I wanted to ask you about. Um, your work in in as you you coach people and you teach them how to communicate better in improv. You know I've seen whose line is it anyway, and I've watched a couple right. of of DC improv shows. But but tell me, you know, realistically, how that helps people communicate.
1: Well, I appreciate that. So the coolest thing about improv, and yes, most people have seen the TV show or they've gone to improv or done Second City. And you think it's just a bunch of people yucking up and being silly on the spot. And, and there's an aspect of that, certainly. But what I was surprised to find out, having started – so, so I, did, I did stand up for, for early on when I shifted to improv, guess me, about five or so years ago. And Improv, actually, it's, it's a group – it's a team of, of folks working together who follow an ironclad set of rules, and it's, it's actually through those rules – that they that provides freedom, which is so interesting. And so the the best way to think of it, I like to think of it as a dance. Like if you and I together we're we're in a scene together, and they, we get a suggestion. Let's just say the, the fr- suggestion is French fries. Whatever you would say or do, or or an accent or a motion or an action, or whatever you'd say towards me is considered an offer. Like that's just whatever you just that's an offer. since my job, ironclad rule, my ironclad job as as your scene partner to accept that, to, no matter what, you accept it, whether I like it or not, and then add or build onto it. So, so improvers would call that yes. And, you know, so I, yes, your, your suggestion and I add to it. I have to think of it also as accept and build, I accept whatever happens and you build onto it. So now we translate that to everyday communication or something to, to presentations. No matter what happens, even if your nervousness, even if your time gets cut short, whatever goes on, whatever is put forward to you, uh, more likely it was a conversational partner, whatever they say or do, if your first attitude is to accept what they give, even if it's, a, even if it's something you don't really enjoy, but you accept by, by accepting what they put out there, it, it, at the same time, it honors, it validates, it, it, um, it, 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 fel- it celebrates and honors the person and what they, they bring to the table. And there's all this talk lately and and for a long time, but even more so now about diversity and inclusion and and equity and talk about one of the best moves you can do if you don't have the ability to change your organization from a top-down level. If every one of us could be in that mode of whoever says or speaks or offers something to us, whether they're above us, below us, beside us, different from us, background, whatever, if we could accept and honor their, their, their offer and then add to it, man, that's when really cool stuff starts to happen.
0: You know, just learning how to do that bob and weave and that dance that you talked about uh, it makes you so yeah. much quicker and, and uh, so much better communicate. It makes perfect sense to me. Um, Steve Hughes is our guest today, and, and if you visit him online, he's actually got a free report, 17 Ways to Combat Public Speaking Nerves. So if you are one of those people where speaking, uh, you know, is scarier than a big hairy spider or a slithery snake, there's a free report you can download on, uh, on uh, hityourstride.com. Hey Steve, I I'm based here in Washington. Can I yep.
1: add something real quick before you go oh, any further? The other other key aspect of what makes that work is and this is one of the things that, that most people who come to let's say to an improv class early on they kind of freak out because you think, My goodness, what if you say or do something and then my mind goes blank and I don't know what to say? Like I'm a I am don't know what to say. They freed us up by by um talking about that in improv, and actually it's so true even in regular conversations, is that is that there are no mistakes. You can't make a mistake. Now, yes, of course you can make a mistake on a weekly report or on a you know on a accounts payable or something or other. You can make a mistake, but in general, if you're having a conversation, it's sometimes the mistake or the thing that you didn't expect to have happen that leads to a tremendous scene. Or it's the thing that you didn't expect or the, the constraint that was thrown at you that that you didn't see coming from from left field that suddenly you say, Okay, great, let me do something cool with it. In fact, I love the quote by Miles Davis, the great jazz um, trumpeter, who said – "You because know, the thing about jazz, it's so often it's, it's all about improv. You're, you're improv- improvising back and forth, but he said, don't fear mistakes because there aren't any. If you hit a wrong note, it's the next note you play that determines whether it was good or bad, so keep playing. So I, so I think about that, so people get nervous speaking. Well, what if I say the wrong thing? so what? You say the wrong thing. You know, a hiccup, you, you, you dangle a participle, you, you say the opposite of what you meant to say. It's what you do next that either blows it up into full-blown explosion of badness or, hey, you know what? Didn't mean to say that. Let's move on. And that, to me, that combined with a yes and is what really can help propel both a speaker, a conversational partner, a team with that attitude to, to new heights.
0: Makes sense. Steve Hughes, our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast, powered by SpeakerMatch.com. Steve joins us from St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, as we record this podcast, Steve, just this week, uh, a very famous Missouri native, very famous speaker, Rush Limbaugh, passed away. And and as somebody who's based here in the nation's capital, I've been thinking a lot in the last couple of months about how much words matter. Um, You know, the the president went through, uh, President Trump went through a second impeachment trial, uh, based on the words he used uh, on that January 6th speech and and how much those may or may not have influenced the, the storming of the Capitol. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, of course, uh, very well known as a a, a fiery on-air commentator who uh, got people's hair up uh, on the back of their neck. Uh, on the other side of the political spectrum, uh, Governor Cuomo right. of New York uh, has really gotten himself into hot water for what he said and what he didn't say about the the nursing home deaths during the pandemic in his state, um, in your experience as somebody who does this for a living, how much do words matter?
1: Well, I say they're huge. They matter on so many levels, and it's interesting. A couple of those examples you brought up. What what I find so interesting is, you know, I think we hold ourselves to the standard of perfection, um, which which I'm not excusing any of those examples you just brought up, but what I do find so interesting is is once the mistake is, is uh, like, this is another thing from comedy. They talk about acknowledging the bomb, like, uh, like acknowledge the bomb. You know, like if, if you do a joke and it doesn't hit, if you pretend it was, if you pretend that's what you want to, you know what I'm saying? It just can be very awkward and uncomfortable. But say, yo, I wish that were funny. Or I thought that would have been better. Or that sounded better in my mind. Or you, know, you kind of do something with it. I think so often it's, it's, it's just back to that Miles Davis quote. So, you make the mistake or you say these fiery words or whatever you do, then when you're called on it, if you can then in a, in a sober moment um, not try to cover it up or not try to uh, minimize it and just just say, okay, yeah, this is what should have happened or I, I apologize for that and really mean it, I think that can make a huge difference versus the – it's oftentimes the cover-up that's worse. or It's often the, the thing that's done afterwards um, that, that, that blows the thing up worse than the first time.
0: You know, I think you're right. And, and governor Cuomo, I think is a great example of that. You know, if if you step out in the beginning and you say, this is what's happening, especially in the middle of, of the big, huge mess that everybody was in, in April, 2020, I think people would have been you know way more forgiving because nobody knew what was going on at that time. Right. Um, Yeah. But, but personal responsibility of, of what you say when you're a platform speaker, is that something that you you take seriously? Absolutely.
1: And I, and I've, I've even gotten in trouble. You know, I've had clients. You know, it just I've done this. You know, thousand plus times. You know, in the in my career. Uh, you know, you're gonna if you're on the stage that long, you're gonna say something you didn't mean to. And so it's I find it important to, um, to to own your to own your mistakes, to own the the, the, the hiccup or the whatever you, you you misstated, and and then and obviously apologize. But but I always think the thing that kills me, especially like in the political world, is is it has to be a legit apology. It has to be, hey, I'm sorry that I did X. Like, I, I, I did an action. Not, I'm sorry if you were offended. <laughs> because that, that, takes you off the, that takes you off the hook, you know? No, it's if, if you say something that bums somebody out or hurts somebody's feelings, I am sorry that I did X, you know? Would you please forgive me? And there's, there's no equivocation. Here's why I did it. You know, give me a break.
0: Stop that so, dancing um, around the fact.
1: Exactly right. Exactly. And I think that you're, I, I agree with you. I think it's so often when people just say, "Hey, you know what? I made a decision at the time; it seemed right, but now looking back, uh, you know, I, I shouldn't have, and I'm sorry." You know, just just that kind of stuff. On again, politics, business, you know, uh, personal relationships, you know, church, home, volunteering. If we'd have more of that, um, you know, and uh, and then and then once the person does apologize, to, you got to take them at their word on that too. You, know, you can't, you, you know, it's. Uh, you know, forgiveness is a two-way street. You know, someone has to ask for it, but the other person has to offer it. Steve I'm not I'm sorry, has, accept it. Well, you right. have to
0: accept it. That's right. Steve Hughes, our guest today on the Big Time Talker podcast, a professional speaker and speakers trainer based in St. Louis. And uh, there's an old saying, Steve: that, you know, people judge you by the words you use. You talked about the example of of going up to Chicago and teaching a bunch of lawyers how to be funny and and uh, you know maybe to to lay lay off the legal ease a little bit. Um, yeah. On the, on the other side of that, there are people who come into speaking with one hand tied behind their back. Maybe they're very, uh, you know, naturally timid. Uh, maybe they're like yeah. me. You know, I grew up in, in the Appalachian coalfields and, you know, I came out to Birth Canal kind of talking like this. And, you know, that could, <laughs> that could be an issue if you want to uh, be a yeah. speaker, you know, in other places. Um, is there such a thing as, as someone who can't do it? You can't be taught how to do that?
1: I'm gonna say no, and here's why. In fact, I just right before this I was speaking to a group of manufacturing reps about the most effective, dynamic, um, impactful speakers are not always the most dynamic. They're not always the most uh, wow, they own the stage and they have this like larger than life personality. Um, they're the ones who are who are authentically themselves. And I think about even just go to the world of comedy. You you have you have all sorts of people who, who can make a living, you know, famous folks who some are larger than life, some yell, some curse, some are me- mellow, some do one-liners, some stand still, some run over the stage. And so there's not one right or wrong, wrong way to do it. It's um it's just a matter of bringing your most authentic self there. Now, that having been said, if you're super timid, like someone can't hear you or you're, or all your gestures are so inward and, and you're so closed off, I mean, those are fixable things that will limit your ability, but to me those are not um, – those are not – uh, unchangeable. Those those are not things that are that are. Um, Most like, of that is teachable.
0: Enough. Then that's not a deal breaker.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah exactly. And I, I also say too. when you think about the. You know, it's, I always use a movie example too. We've all seen movies where, um, it might be like a, a big summer blockbuster, you know, and it's uh, whether you saw the movie or just downloaded it. It's it's got the multi million dollar budget and you know all the stuff, and yet. Had no story, no plot, no no twist. The characters were kind of flat, and you kind of go, that's a waste of my money. But on the other hand, I'm sure we've all seen movies where lower budget, maybe independent film, or who knows what it is, or just maybe they didn't spend as much, but it had the cool plot, that the great twist, the the good character development, the the emotional story. And on that, when you say bring me, bring on some more, like you really enjoy it. So I always say to people the flash and the, the glitz and the glamour and all the gestures and, and owning the stage is, is important. But man, what you, what you say, back to your earlier question is so important. Like, like what you're saying is it, does it resonate with the audience? Does it uh, help them solve a problem? Does it help them think? Does it help them smile? Does it help them think, uh, you know, see things differently? That stuff will go much further than the, than the, Hey, you know, awesome, really cool. Awesome. Like, like imagine like, Tony Robbins without a good message, like, you know, someone that loud and that large, but, but he was a vacuous airbag, you know, which he is not, uh, he wouldn't be successful, you know?
0: So, I'm write that down. I like. That. I'm going to name my next rock band that vacuous airbag. I like that, ladies and gentlemen. Please make welcome vacuous <laughs> airbag. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, as, as as you're talking about this, Steve, uh, for for our listeners in in Hollywood, you know, Steve's talking about uh, movies that that maybe are a lot of flash. Uh, Michael Bay. We're looking at you right now in this. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. He's we're aiming this notice. directly at you. <laughs> Uh, but but you're absolutely right how great is it when you stumble across something uh on netflix or amazon prime or wherever you watch your stuff and and you you don't hold a whole lot of uh uh, promise maybe there are no big names in the cast or you've never heard the director and it's great what a great feeling that is so absolutely
1: i love it the other example is uh is like uh You know the sixth sense you know no one said man i wish there were more car chases there are no explosions you know i think that story was good enough on its own so
0: that's exactly right Um, Uh, so steve hughes as we wrap it up i have to share something with you and that is that my producer Shaylee, when she presented me with a list of of all the possible people that we could have on the podcast you know we we talked to big national entertainers and sports personalities and subject matter leaders and and, and she gave me this list of, of possible guests, and I looked at it, and, and, and I was doing a million different things at once, and, and I, in my peripheral vision, saw Steve Hughes from HityourWife.com. And I thought, I've got to get that guy on my show, and then I realized that it's not that's really not HityourWife.com. So it's HityourStride.com, and yet it was still a very interesting conversation.
1: That's true. Yeah, I have gotten people joking, "Hit your bride," you know, that kind of thing. Like, no, not a good thing. But uh, <laughs>
0: Ixnay on the bride. Egg.
1: Well, you know the funny part about "Hit Your Stride." Even the name was uh, when I when I started this whole thing, stevehughes.com com was taken. So I was looking around. and I've always been I've been a lifelong runner, not as much lately because some physical issues. But but HitYourStride.com was just sitting there, and I figured that's what I help people do, and it just ended up being a, a wonderful. Uh, Again, I I took the limitation of I couldn't use my name, what's the next thing I could come up with? And actually I probably came up with a better name for my company than than just the Steve Hughes show.
0: Steve Hughes, our guest. The website is not, in fact, hityourwife or hityourbride.com. It is hityourstride.com. He can teach you how to bring the funny in your speaking and, and just how to be uh, a better conversationalist and, dare I say, a better human being. And best of all, uh, he is exceptionally gifted at Parallel Parking. So if you need help with that, you can help with that, too. Thanks for being on the show today. Sure.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. I, I, a great interview, and um, I, I love what you're doing, and I appreciate being a
0: part of it. It's our pleasure. Steve Hughes at hityourstride.com. Hey, wherever you are, whatever you do, go out and make it a great day. Thank you, speakermatch.com, for sponsoring our Big Time Talker podcast. Bye, everybody.